Hello and welcome to Setting the Scheme. I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Elijah. And Tristan, where the heck are you, man? For real, the dude asked us to like reschedule our recording this week so that he could be on and then didn't show up. Mm. Okay, we'll let you get away with it this time. But I got to say, he missed a movie. Oh, he missed a movie. I don't really want to use good or bad as a descriptor, so I'm just going to leave it as a movie. Well, well, here's the good thing. Here's the good thing is that, you know, you can't really describe whether or not this is a good movie or a bad movie, but it is a movie about bad movies. That is true. That is true. Um, but what bad movies in particular? Well, you see, uh, Ben, the movies that this movie talks about are particularly the ones that were created by a man named Ed Wood. Uh, oh, that's that's, that's a, an interesting uh, pairing of words. I wonder if that's a movie title. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, it is. Uh, folks, this week we watched Ed Wood, released in 1994, directed by Tim Burton, uh, starring Johnny Depp, Martin Landau, Sarah Jessica Parker, Bill Murray, Patricia Arquette, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, a whole bunch of other folks. Um, uh, but yeah, this was directed by Tim Burton, currently holds a 7.8 out of 10 on IMDb, a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 70% on Metacritic, and an 83% on Google. Uh, also, this movie uh, won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, and I'll see if he... I'll see if I won any others. It did not. Just Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for Martin Landau. Um, and I'm trying to pull up... Uh, box office information for this movie because i'm genuinely curious about it uh, ah, I saw yes, where uh the budget for this movie was higher than the combined budget for every single movie ed wood ever made oh yeah i do not doubt that at all as far as how well this movie did i i don't know about that i didn't look at that yeah i think uh, the numbers were not good yeah um okay i just had it pulled up all right so this movie was made for 18 million dollars uh and it's gross can i, can I get a little bit of a drum roll please drum roll, um, drum, roll, drum roll drum roll drum roll this movie made 5.8 million dollars Ooh, that's you want to know what it's opening weekend was this is actually i'm not even lying this is straight up funny it's opening weekend was seventy-one thousand dollars. yikes Although, to to be fair, this movie came out. Uh, its opening weekend was October second, nineteen ninety four, which was about three weeks after Forrest Gump had come out, and Forrest Gump was still riding high. No, I'm not saying that that is like defending this movie or anything. I'm just saying it's very funny. Oof. Yeah. Uh, so the movie's called Ed Wood. I guess it's about this guy named Ed Wood. Yep, Ed Wood, uh, for those of you who don't know, which I would imagine would be a lot of you, because not many people know about Ed Wood. Um, but for the longest time, uh, Ed Wood was proclaimed as the worst director of all time. Um, he made a lot of really, really, let's be honest, awful B-movies uh, in the 1950s. Um, and that's what, this, that's what this movie is focusing on. It's focusing on his... Uh, the start of his directing career and kind of quote unquote the height of his directing career, um, uh, which is in the mid to late 1950s. Um, and it it it's it cuts off very strategically at a certain point of his career and then ends right there. But uh, but yeah, 
Edward, uh, Edward's an interesting guy. He is, he's, he's quite the interesting subject. Mm -hmm. Um, he, I mean, dude loved making movies. He, you can pull up his IMDb and it is a long, long, long list of movies, but he just was terrible as a director. Like, and I'm not saying he was like a horrible person or anything. He was just a bad director. He didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. Yeah, uh, in this movie we see him kind of go through a few of his movies like you mentioned before getting to um planet nine from outer space which was the pinnacle of his film career question mark um it uh it was consi- i think it was the movie they had the largest budget for of his career but also it was kind of church to so- back him he got the entire. He got the uh, California Baptist Church to fund the movie, which is hilarious, mm. especially if you look at the latter half of Ed Wood's career. Um, yeah, but uh, but uh, but anyway, yeah. Um, Plant Nine from Outer Space. In the same year that Ed Wood was named the worst director of all time, Plant Nine from Outer Space was named the worst movie of all time. Mm. So. Yeah, uh, have do either of you boys have any knowledge of who Edward is before this movie, or like? I think you had previously told me that um, Edward um, directed Planet Nine from Outer Space, and it included the last recorded clip ever of Bella Lugosi and a little snippet right at the very beginning of the film. I think I yep. knew that, and that's about it. Elijah. Yeah, much the same. I heard about Ed Wood and this movie about him from you and from a professor I had in college who was just into a lot of weird movies and music and stuff. Um, But I've never seen any of his movies. So I went into this fairly ignorant. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, this for the record, I've this is the second time I've seen this movie, but I only saw it for the first time this past year in my never ending quest to see as many movies as humanly possible as I can by the end of this year. But yeah, I've um, seen Nine from outer space, right? I have seen plan nine from outer space. Uh, and, and also, um, I knew about Ed Wood beforehand, but last year I watched a, uh, a three part documentary on, on cult movies. Um, uh, like uh like movies that are so bad it's good um and and the like and there's an entire there's an entire probably hour and a half in that documentary dedicated to ed wood and it's three parts and each part is four hours long so fun little snippet right there all right well uh, on that note let's uh skip over acting for a second and kind of focus on that cult status for films um obviously it's not the first one that we've talked about on the podcast we've talked about the room we've talked about troll 2 um we've talked about several other cult films scott pilgrim versus the world um yeah what is it about some of these movies that attracts such a following like we've seen bad movies that are just bad and don't have any kind of a following i mean what is it about these room or these movies these rooms well, I think, I think for one thing, I think the whole status and existence of cult movies sort of comes out of this 
sort of this desire to be a part of the counterculture, uh, something that, you know, goes against what the norm is, something that goes against like what is what is like normal because i mean for a lot of people or i i mean a lot of people consider one of the one of the first cult movies uh or like the origin of cult cinema to be uh the rocky horror picture show which granted came out way after uh any of ed wood's movies but um but you know rocky horror picture show does a lot of stuff that you really shouldn't do in a movie and for all intents and purposes it breaks a lot of the rules but there still is something fun about it. There's something that can be enjoyed. And I think with movies like The Room or movies like any of Ed Wood's movies, you know, a big thing that comes out of it is sort of this enjoyment to say, how can someone make, how can someone get this far along in the process and, and think this is good? Uh, yeah, what, what, what are y'all's thoughts on that? I mean, I, I guess I question the same thing. Like, that's one thing that has always confused me about a movie like The Room. Like, how on earth did Tommy Wiseau think that was a good movie? Yeah. Like, it, is it all just a joke that he just leans into? Or is he so blinded by his self-pride that he believes it actually is a good movie? Or is he just so far beyond us that we don't even have the palate to digest the beauty of the art that he produced? I haven't even seen the movie, you guys. I'm just being dumb. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, for taking the room as a good example, I mean, time was, oh, the entire time that movie was being made, you know, he would tell people like, you just don't get it. You don't get what I'm going for. And the fact of the matter is, is he just doesn't know how to make a movie. Yeah. And <laughs> And it's, it's, it's somewhere, I think there's a fine line between just wanting to create something and thinking that you're an expert on it. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I mean, you can take Ed Wood, uh, the first like directing gig he gets for a film is shown in this movie. And by what I've researched, like it's pretty true to form to like what actually happened because he just wanted to make a movie and he had like one thing in common with his subject uh and not really even something in common he just thought he had an understanding of like mm -hmm. of like how the subject would think and he was like that qualifies me to make this movie and so it's it's really interesting to see these movies where where directors or writers or producers really have no idea what they're doing, but because someone acts like I've got this, I've got this, I know what I'm doing, or because they just, I, I, I honestly like struggle to watching this movie a second time through. The biggest challenge that I have is understanding how on earth Ed Wood actually got the funding that he got for his movies. Cause the dude made a crap ton of movies and they were all funded and he was poor as all get out. Like Tommy Wiseau, I can give the man a little bit of leeway because for some reason he's filthy, he's filthy stinking rich and could fund his own movies. And I mean, that just feeds his own ego. I don't know how Ed Wood did what he did. I don't know how he, how he got as far as he did. Yeah. And uh, I, honestly, I just, I, I don't get it either. Um, 
Well, thinking about what it's like for those directors uh, reminds me a little bit about what it's like to be a guitarist who never took music lessons and learned a lot of stuff on the internet. And then you end up playing acoustic guitar, you know, doing the anyway, here's Wonderwall thing at a party or something. And then you play this stanky chord that doesn't make any sense. And if somebody says something about it, what are you going to say? The go-to response is it's jazz. You just don't get it. <laughs> when the fact is you don't know what you're doing. Right. And then from the audience perspective, turning these things into cult films, is it, um, is it accurate to say that there's a little bit of the effect, you know, the, if, if you see an accident, you're going to look at it effect. Like you can't not like, look like at a train you see, wreck. Like, like if you see two cars barreling towards each other and you know they're about to wreck, you don't want to look away. Mm-hmm. Or like if, if a wreck has happened and you're passing by, you're not going to not look at it. Yeah. Yeah. You have to look at a train wreck. So I guess my question is, what makes a movie like Planet Nine from Outer Space, The Room, other bad movies that are cult classics different from movies that are just bad that's a good question well i let's dig into the anatomy of a cult classic yeah here's another thing that maybe you could compare it to um none of us are parents but uh you know you know the experience when when a kid draws something and it's just horrible and, you know, you're like, oh, what a nice dog. And the kid's like, it's a giraffe. And it's like, all right, there was no way I was going to tell that from your drawing skills. But you're not going to say that to a kid. You're going to say that's a great giraffe and you're going to put it on the refrigerator because, um, you know, they tried. <laughs> and yeah. it's a it, it's a little bit of a like, isn't that cute type thing. And I almost feel like that's the attitude this movie has towards Ed Wood. I could see that, but yeah, I, I get where you're going with that. But <sighs> I, I still think for me, there's a disconnect between what make what's the difference between a bad movie and a bad movie that's also a cult classic. Like, what I does think... a bad movie have to do to be a cult classic? Do you just have yeah. to have a confident director? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it. I think it goes into like, I mean, analyzing the anatomy of a cult film i mean okay take a take another movie that i know neither of you have seen but good lord i i will never forget this movie i saw it this year it's called beyond the valley of the dolls and it is part rock opera part horror movie part sci-fi special um part romantic comedy and it's it's an it's an awful movie it's it's like so so bad and what's funny is what's funny for me is the fact that watching that movie watching this movie that i know is so bad and it's so abysmal and the dialogue is awful and i know from from researching a part of it that the conditions on set were awful like the director was a piece of crap director and then I look at like one random fact about the movie and it's that it was written by Roger Ebert, who, if you don't know, Roger Ebert is one of the great film critics uh, of all time. Um, and he made a living telling people that their movies were terrible. He made a living telling people that like, that like they were nothing, that their, 
that their careers were over. And yet here's this movie that's so bad and is so awful written by this man. And it's, and it's like that kind of, that kind of little sick glee that you get by no, from knowing almost like this filmmaker's like dirty little secret that like, that like, okay, Roger Ebert, you can talk all the crap you want to about other people's movies, but you also may be on the Valley of the Dolls. So like how incredible are you? It's like when Simon Cowell sings and people are like, yeah, you don't know how to sing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. Exactly. That's a, that's a perfect analogy. And I think it's, I think that's why people like people like Ed Wood or Tommy Wiseau, Tommy Wiseau is not a good answer. Um, I'll stick with Ed Wood for just a minute. Ed Wood, you know, he, he makes this piece of crap movie, but he doesn't necessarily try to tell other people that their movies are crap. He hasn't. I, I think you can make the same argument though, for people who've just directed bad films that aren't called classics. They're not out here telling other people that their movies are bad. Yeah, I know that. I know that. It's just, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard. It's it's hard to it's hard to identify what it is. I think a lot of it is the. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to distinguish a cult film from a bad film because I've seen many bad films and I've seen many cult films and they're, it's like comparing apples and oranges. There's a stark difference, but also I can't quantify that difference. Well, I think you can intentionally make a cult film. Yeah, that's true. I have, I feel like I have heard people say that they wanted to be, they wanted to make a cult film. Uh, I feel like we talked about one on the podcast, but I don't remember. I, I just don't think that's something you can set out wanting to do. Yeah. Uh, maybe the stars just have to align. Yeah. And it's worth noting that there are lots of cult films that are not considered bad films. You know, there are a lot of movies out there that are considered good by the people who know them. They're just not that many people who know them. We've watched a few of those too. Just kind of, you know, sort of niche films that if you talk to the right people, they're like, oh yeah, great movie. Um, very few people actually think they're bad. Well, I mean, like uh, like uh, The Big Lebowski, which is one of the most popular uh, stoner movies and uh, frat movies, um, it kind of qualifies as a cult film. Like it, it qualifies as like a cult classic, but there are, there are tons of people who know what The Big Lebowski is what the big Lebowski is uh, as compared to something like there are a lot of people who could quote the big Lebowski before they could quote something like planet of the apes or something like um, Rocky or something like Rocky's not a good example, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, I, I was thinking about some that we've talked about before. We never did an episode on mean girls, but that's kind of the, when you say cult film, that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. Um. And then two movies with similar titles that are not related at all, Clueless and Clue, both kind of cult classics. Uh, we've talked about those on the podcast, and I know Clue is one of your favorites, Doug. Yeah. Yeah, so it doesn't no. have to be a bad movie. No, it doesn't have to be a bad movie. I think it just has to be a movie... With a niche audience. Yeah. Kind of with a niche audience, kind of something that flies under the radar, something that like you you don't expect. Like... Scott Pilgrim versus the world is a good example of a cult movie, which is not bad. It's not a bad movie by any means. And, you know, as time goes on, it gets a bigger and bigger audience, but 
Edgar Wright like kind of started that movie out as a cult film because he had a secret like unplanned unscheduled premiere of it at San Diego Comic-Con one year mm-hmm. and people thought they were going to get like a uh, like a panel on on I I think that they knew that the movie was coming out so I think they were getting a panel on like the on like the cast and crew talking about the movie and no the whole movie was done like they didn't realize that they were coming in to see the movie that night mm-hmm. and so yeah yeah cult films cult films hold a special place in both pop culture and I think in the hearts and minds of of moviegoers the world over i think a recent movie that we will see become a cult classic that already started has kind of started to become a cult classic is cats the 2020 cats movie which is see i don't think so i think it's just bad i i don't know i don't know i've seen many an argument be made for how it's so bad it's good interesting i don't know i mean i guess it may technically end up being a cult film because it has a dedicated niche audience but i think it's, it's a movie about a cult yeah you know granted right. it's a cult of cats but it is a cult hmm. well, um you know, yeah. a cult of cats how do y'all feel about the acting in this movie mm, okay yeah that's <laughs> you know ben not gonna lie man that's one of your weaker transitions uh the acting was um I will say good. <laughs> it yeah. was. It struck me as weird, but it wasn't bad. Well, I I think it was intentionally weird. Um, yeah, I mean it's Johnny Depp. Yeah, and I feel like they were trying to emphasize like the the oddities of Edward's life. Because uh, I mean he was a cross dresser in the forties and fifties, which was incredibly looked down upon and. He was also just not a good filmmaker. Yeah. Which was also probably looked down upon as someone in the field. Like, so it just kind of like embraces it. Kind of like some of these cult films are embraced for their weirdness and their oddities. Yeah. Um, and I think Johnny Depp does an incredible job. Yeah, acting wise, I think that this movie really knocks it out of the park. Uh, and I will, I will say that like, um, I don't know why, but for a very long time, I did not like Giant Up. I, and it's like, it's it's literally like nothing personal. I just never loved his movies. I, I think I think the biggest thing is is I never got into Pirates of the Caribbean, and then I saw Edward Scissorhands when I was really young, and I just didn't like Edward Scissorhands. Um, but this was a movie that made me go back and say, okay, maybe I should rewatch Giant Depp's movies and like see what I think about them because this is a really really good performance. I think. Yeah. Um, I also um, really enjoyed. Um... Bella Lugosi. Martin Landau. Martin Landau, thank you. Um, I think he did an incredible job. Um, I really appreciated the uh, gravitas that uh, he brought to the role, uh, specifically in the scene where um, Ed Wood is trying to stop him from committing suicide. Like, that was an incredibly powerful scene. Um, And I also appreciated that they didn't turn that kind of a scene into a giant joke looking at you the artist 
Yeah, I didn't see the artist, but that sounds bad. It was. I also didn't see the artist, but I heard that it was also bad. It was. Yeah, and uh, that guy won an Academy Award. Yeah, uh, he did. And and I just I just want to preface this by saying that Martin Landau won an Oscar and a supporting role for playing Bela Lugosi, and he won going up against Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction and going up against Gary Sinise as Lieutenant Dan in Forrest Gump. Wow. Like, like that's something. That is genuinely something. And so I would also argue and say that this is very much a Hollywood movie. Oh, uh, it's such a Hollywood movie. Like, this is... This is such a Hollywood for a movie made about someone who doesn't really connect with Hollywood and like doesn't doesn't really fit in with the Hollywood like hierarchy. This is such a Hollywood movie to its to a T. And I feel like that is probably why it won that Oscar or one part of why Martin Landau won that Oscar. I think also, yeah, you know, you have to you have to look at as the fact that it's a performance of another actor. Mm-hmm. Um it's a it's a portrayal of a famous uh, person, mm-hmm. which I mean, I think even Bella Lugosi's like estate like like praised Landau's performance of Lugosi. Yeah. Um, I also this is just really funny because this movie made me do a lot of research on uh, on Bella Lugosi in real life, and it really is funny. Like some of the small things that they include in this movie, for instance, Bella Lugosi hated uh, Boris Karloff. Um, at this point in his life and he hated him for a couple reasons one because boris karloff got all the credit for starting the screen actors guild mm-hmm. when he and uh lugosi were two of like the founding members um of it and then also boris karloff uh had had a shorter film career and was playing like smaller roles or he and bell lugosi were in a couple movies together where they played opposite each other and every single time, Lugosi had a bigger role, but Boris Koloff was billed first. So I, I, sh, I just find it funny that, you know, they they hint at those, they put those little jabs at Karloff in here. Yeah. Um, who, if you don't know, Boris Karloff played Frankenstein in the 1930s. Mm. Um, yeah. And also did several other things. Yeah. Did several other things. Yeah. Uh, he was also the voice and the guy who sang your main one, Mr. Grinch. So yeah, fun stuff, fun times. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the acting in this movie really is something that stands out as like a true positive of the film. Um, another favorite actor of the podcast is in this movie. Bill Murray. Yeah. Yeah. I know Bill Murray had been made a favorite of the podcast. I love Bill Murray. I think Bill Murray's great. I just didn't know he had the sass of favorite person on the podcast either. But I also do love Bill Murray. Uh, we yeah, all I do. Think, so I why think, wouldn't he be? Yeah, I think it's just because none of us have necessarily had like an opportunity to talk about Bill Murray in in great detail. But it's really funny that you know he's not in a whole lot of scenes. Like he does not have that much screen time. But every single time he comes on screen, you know, he's Bill Murray. Yeah, it's good to see Bill. Yeah. Um, okay, so we've talked about we've talked about how this movie compares to probably to probably the most noteworthy like uh, 
film of the same stature, um, The Disaster Artist, before. But one of the things that this movie does that I think The Disaster Artist really fails to do, and that's partly because The Disaster Artist is billed as like a comedy. This is billed as like a, a drama. Um is the fact that this movie actually does pay a lot of respect to Ed Wood. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that partly is due to the fact that um, Tim Burton is a self-proclaimed, self-proclaimed like Ed Wood fanatic, um, which, I mean, you can say it. Honestly, it, it does not surprise me that Tim Burton loves Ed Wood. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Being who Tim Burton is. This movie does not try to make Ed Wood seem like a great filmmaker. It makes him seem like a loser of a filmmaker. But you can still tell that it was directed by somebody who liked Ed Wood. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I I won't say he's a flawless person in this movie, but he's pretty darn close. He's a sympathetic character. He's incredibly sympathetic. He's incredibly sympathetic. And yeah, I think it's I think it's great to have this movie in comparison to the disaster artist to just like look at really to look at like how how much respect is given to this man um for directing all these movies that were very important for Tim Burton, apparently. I think it also is worth noting that Ed Wood was dead long before this movie came out. Like was yeah, uh, Tommy Wiseau was still alive. Yeah, while Tommy Wiseau is still alive to to sort of like fight back against like any criticism of his movies. Because uh-huh. you can find him, you can find him ripping people apart for criticizing the room all day long. And Ed Wood, I mean, you know, granted, you know, give give a little bit of respect for, for the dead, but it is it is kind of a little it's just sweeter, you know, to to give the man a little bit of respect. However, that does bring us to another talking point on this podcast. And that is the historical accuracy of this film. Because as I said earlier, Tim Burton is very smart about what part of Ed Wood's life he portrays in this movie. And he only portrays really his early career. He portrays from the moment he directs Glenn or Glenda to, to the uh, premiere of plan nine from outer space. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And there's a good yeah, reason for it. Title card of uh, his life post Planet Nine from Outer Space, and uh, it's not great. Yeah, it's not great um, because you can you can basically just say after Planet Nine from Outer Space, like Ed kind of stopped making like well-funded movies. Um, and he got into the kinds of movies that are not well-funded, which, if you're still curious as to what I'm talking about, it is porn, my friends. It is pornographic. There's monster porn. It, there's monster porn. Um, there's, like, that's literally all he found work for after, after Plan 9 from Outer Space. And you can look at his IMDb after, there's about 10 movies before Plant 9, or not Planet Nine, Plan Nine, and then after Plan Nine, there's about twenty of them, and they're all pornographic films. And and it, I mean, it's not. I won't even say that it's sad uh, that like that's what he like devolved to because he's not a good filmmaker. So like, 
So, like, he's not going to get anything, like, that great out of it. But I would say the only sad part of it is that is that as he made fewer and fewer, quote-unquote, movies of quality, um, he became, like, an enraged alcoholic. Like, uh-huh. the last 15 years of his life was basically spent at the bottom of a bottle. Yeah, which was not great. Yeah. And it's not mentioned at all in the film. Like he's yeah. only seen he's only seen taking one drink and that's it. Well, I definitely think cutting this movie right after playing nine from outer space was a good move. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Um, but there's other issues with the accuracy. Um, at least that's what Wikipedia told me today. Um, like Bella Lugosi's descendants say he didn't cuss like that although he did hate boris karloff that part was accurate he does hate boris karloff yeah i mean it's like any movie that we've watched we've apparently gotten into really enjoying films that are based on um, things that really happened but i mean there's always going to be parts that aren't 100 historically accurate they're played up played up for the drama um like i remember when we watched uh, the social network, that big uh, confrontation between um, Mark Zuckerberg and Andrew Garfield's character, whose name I'm forgetting right now in the Facebook office, it isn't how that happened. Like there's always stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And the movies will do like these kinds of movies will put together some composite characters. They'll condense scenes that happened at several different times into one scene, things like that. And I think all that stuff is fine. When you're trying to tell the story, I think it's fine to do that stuff. But I just want to point out, we mentioned that this movie's a little too long. <laughs> and if they were already doing that stuff to condense the story, they should have done it a little more. <laughs> yeah, yeah let's, I would agree with that. Yeah, so, let's I get into you that. Easily shave off like 20, 25 minutes from this movie. Dude, I think you could shave off like a half hour of this movie. <laughs> I was trying to cut it down to an hour 45. Good Lord. Good Lord, this movie's so long. And like, here's, here's the thing. Like I get trying to tell the story that you need to tell. I get trying to have like character set up and character development, all that jazz. I get it. I applaud it. Go you, but dear Lord, make your movie flow a little bit better, a little faster because Tim Burton knows how to make a movie move. Like he knows how to make it move, but also Tim Burton loves to, hold on a bunch of stuff way longer than he should yeah and so i I will also say about this movie it's a a movie that's very easy to just kind of do something else during um yeah like i'm not gonna lie i I only kind of like half watched it and followed it pretty well um but i mean like it's not a movie that requires your full undivided attention yeah yeah that's accurate yeah i lost interest with this movie more than once yeah i um i i told ben like right before we started i was like ben i forgot how long this movie is (laughs) this is gonna be a hard one hey we made it and we made it yeah well uh do uh do y'all have anything else to say about old ed wood 
All right. Well, then let's score this sucker. So who wants to go first? I will. Um, okay. I think this is a good love letter to Ed Wood. Is it a good movie? That's questionable. Um, I'm going to give this movie a 68. Yeah. I think it's fine. I think it's fine. Um, I I honestly like cannot see it a third time. I've oh, seen yeah. it once. I barely saw it a second time. <laughs> I cannot see it a third time. Um, yeah, 68. Yeah, I was going to say 66. Definitely not a rewatchable movie. So this is actually really funny. I'm actually going to split the difference. I leading up, I was thinking, you know, 67 sounds good. And then, yeah, so it's 67. Um, I think it's well acted. Um, and I think there are good parts to it. But quite frankly, it's not a movie I ever care to watch again. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, it's not even a movie that I gave 100% of my attention to this time. Like, yeah, it's boring. Either. It's boring. Yeah. Let's be honest. It's boring. Yeah. yeah, there are good parts to it, but it's boring. Now, I'll say I did laugh at a couple of parts. Oh yeah, I mean, same, same. Like uh, there, there were definitely interesting parts. There were parts that were supposed to be played for laughs that did make me laugh. Yeah. And I think it is. I think it is like worth praising the fact that you know Tim Burton clearly loves Ed Wood, and I don't want to take that away from him because like, like all, like fully respect that decision like make a movie about your hero that's great shine the brightest light you can on him but dude please make a good movie yeah anyway uh, after plugging that into our patented scorometer turns out i'm right this week it's a 67 hey yeah, i know i could have told you that <laughs> you know what we didn't really talk about was the decision to film this in black and white yeah so i was a fan of it I kind of liked it too. I like it. I like the fact that they did it. Um, I think it kind of gives the movie the air of like, don't take this as seriously as you probably would take other movies. Interesting. And I didn't. I didn't. Although we did sit here for uh, about 40 minutes and critique the ever living heck out of it. See, that's yeah. not the vibe I got from that uh, being in black and white, but. Well, it's part of, it's part of this movie being an homage to the guy. Yeah. yeah. But it may be a little bit of that too, Doug. Yeah. What's fine? Okay, I'm sorry. Last one. Um, what's funny though is that they've gone back and they've uh, recolored some of Ed Wood's old movies because I think all of his movies were shot in black and white. Um, before Plan Nine, anyway. Plan Nine is also shot in black and white. But um, but I think it would be. I think it is funny that like they've recolored a lot of his old movies. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, that was Ed Wood. Uh, next week, we are watching another uh, very oh serious uh, movie. Oh, uh, my gosh. I just got really so just excited. Long, drawn out drama. Um, uh, it'll probably make you cry. Um, Doug, uh, Doug, do you know what we're watching? I, I should remember what movie we're watching next week, y'all. <laughs> It's one of my favorites. We're watching the other guys with Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg. Heck yes. Well, yeah, uh, like I said, a long, drawn-out drama uh, will probably make you cry. It'll make you cry. It'll make you ponder the questions of life. Oh, I'm so excited. I love the other guys. It also stars Derek Jeter as Derek Jeter. It does star Derek Jeter as Derek Jeter. It also stars Samuel L. Jackson and The Rock. All right. 
Well, I'm sure that'll be a good time. Uh, be sure to join us next week for that. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, be sure to keep up with us on social. Keep up with us on social media at Viter Media uh, with all the different cool things that we're doing. We've got new episodes of Setting the Skeen every Wednesday and new episodes of One, day. One, one day. day. One day. Uh, one day. Um, um, new episodes also- of One Day. Also, uh, shout out to another great podcast that uh, just premiered the day that we're recording this. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Grizzly, Grizzly History, Grizzly History uh, co-hosted by uh, our good friend Michael Ruiz. Yeah, well, um, produced by Mike. Yeah, um, yeah, co-produced by Mike. Yeah, um, I, I actually listened to it on my way over here. Uh, the first episode, uh, The Anatomy of a Disaster, uh, The Sinking of the USS Indianapolis. Very interesting. Uh, Graham brings a nice sultry based voice. If you're into that, mm, we do love a good sultry <laughs> voice. But yeah, I definitely would definitely definitely would definitely would definitely uh, recommend you check that out. Definitely, um, definitely. But until next week, I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Elijah. And this has been setting the scheme. You guys have a great week. <laughs>